Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. We're talking about the subject of eschatology, and that's talking about end time events. And yet last week was our first lesson that we taught. And just a quick review for those of you that may not have been here. Uh, first thing we said was the most important thing you can know about eschatology is be ready. Be ready. Why? Well, look at this video real quick and we'll show you again why. Just in case you weren't here, here's why you need to be ready. Jesus Christ is coming back for his church. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 24 verse 42, Watch therefore, for you do not know the hour your Lord is coming. I want you to know, church, that Jesus Christ could come this month. Or he might come next week. Or he could even come... That's a pretty good reason why to be ready because there won't be time to be ready if you're not ready think about it it's that quick it's an atomic moment that Jesus will come again and so it's important that we are ready also number two he said don't be driven by greed or fear don't let those driving forces cause you to do something like merchandise the anointing like many did and don't let it drive you to fear that you think you got to go find yourself some uh, tribulation food, caves to live in, bottled water that you store up forever, and then when people want some, you don't give it to them because you're greedy and you, you want it for yourself and you get a gun to protect yourself. You call that walking in love? I don't. Okay, then occupy till he comes, which means to live ready. Just live ready. Then we share with you some end time uh, events. Things that point to the fact that we are living in the end times, the last of the last days, some signs. And one of the biggest signs is being, of course, Israel becoming a nation once again in 1948, 1967. They took over Jerusalem uh, once again, got authority, you know, authority, have authority there. Uh, those things have happened. Also, we talked about Daniel chapter 12 when it talks about how in the last days what's going to happen is, is that there's going to be increase of knowledge rapidly and there's going to be uh, traveling is going to be rapid and that sort of thing. And look, we've gone from where? From walking to the space age. With technology, we've gone from communications from uh, talking in the smoke signal all the way to talking to people around the world with a cell phone, walking in your hand. And you even got even the opportunity to have the internet on, in your phone, on your phone. It's just amazing how far we've come and how rapidly we've come. As we continue our study, look at Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 12. I, for some reason, overlooked this one last week, so I just want to throw it out there to you. This shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet, and their eyes shall consume away in their holes, and their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. It's all descriptive of nuclear war, which at a time that we're living in right now, we see it's very real. Maybe way back when people thought that's ridiculous, but you know, most scholars believe that he's talking about a, a nuclear warfare that will take place. And you can see 
uh, the evidence of that all around us. Now, when it comes to the rapture of the church, and here's where people get confused, but let's get to the rapture of the church. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 13, and let's read through verse 18. But I would not have you to be ignorant brethren, which means don't be without understanding or knowledge. This is Paul the Apostle by the Spirit telling us, be alert, be aware. Concerning them which are asleep or who have died, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For we believe that if Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain shall remain to the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them or go before them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, notice the word comfort, comfort one another with these words. When it comes to, this is speaking of the rapture of the church, there's different views that people have of the rapture of the church. Some believe in post-trib, which means after the seven-year tribulation period that's when the rapture is going to take place. Some believe in mid-trib, halfway through the last seven years of tribulation is, is when the church is going to be taken out of here. And some believe in pre-trib, in other words, before that seven-year period takes place. So real quick, we're going to go over these. Look at number one. First of all, post-trib. In other words, the church is going to through, go through seven years of tribulation here upon the earth. And they're going to have to suffer the tribulation that's going to take place that God pour, pours out his wrath here upon the earth. Anybody want an invitation to that event? In John's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 33, this is one of the scriptures that is used to support that particular view. I want you to notice this. These things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. Are you in Christ? Then you have peace. In the world, what will you have? Tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now, there's a difference between tribulation and the tribulation. Tribulation just means we have temptations, trials that we're going to go through in this life. Obviously, we're going to have storms that Jesus talked about. He talked about adversities and challenges that we face along the way, temptations along the way. But that's just tribulation. Notice the tribulation is the wrath of God being poured out in seven years upon an unbelieving world. And now notice this. Notice here in Nahum chapter, or Revelation rather, chapter 6. Notice in verse 16 and 17. Instead of the mountains and rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the what? Wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come. And who shall be able to stand it? Notice Wrath is talking about the seven-year tribulation period is not just your normal temptation. This is talking about the wrath of God, the judgment of God poured out upon an unbelieving world that the church is no part of. Look at Naaman chapter 1 verse 2. God is jealous and the Lord revengeth, the Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves wrath for the church. Thank you, Aaron. Who's he reserved wrath for? His enemies. Okay, look at the other scriptures. Much more than being justified by his blood. Have you been justified by his blood? We shall be saved from what? Wrath through him. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 
and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. And look at chapter 5 and verse 9. For God has not appointed us to what? Wrath. But to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. I have an appointment book here. We're not appointed to wrath. I look at this appointment book in September. I've got to do a wedding in Ohio. Somewhere in Warren, Ohio. No, I'm looking over. No appointment for wrath. No. I don't see it. I didn't put it in there. Nowhere do I find it in this appointment book of mine. You know why? I'm not putting it in there. Because I don't have an appointment with wrath. And neither do you. Is that good to know? So if someone wants to make an appointment with wrath, that's between them and God. But as far as I'm concerned, mm -mm. Number two, the mid-trib view. Here's the mid-trib. This is three and a half years into the last seven years, that seven years of tribulation period. There are those that believe that's when the rapture takes place and that's when the saints are taken to heaven. And they base it on Revelation chapter 11, verse 11 and 12, and then verse 15, and then 1 Corinthians. We'll look at these in sequence. First of all, look at this. After three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great Philip fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying, come up hither. Look at verse 15. I mean, they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. Then verse 15. And the seventh angel sounded. This is the seventh trumpet or the last trumpet of the seven trumpets of judgment. There were great voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world are become kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. And then look at 1 Corinthians 15 before we comment. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last one. Trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Now, these are verses that are used to support the fact that in the middle of the tribulation, this is when many believe that we're going to then be raptured out of here. But the church is going to have to go through the first three and a half years of tribulation. But there's a problem with that. Look in the book of Revelation once again, and you will notice in chapter 13 and verse 7 what it says. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And, the, and power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. If the church is raptured at mid-trib, as it says in Revelation chapter 11, if that's the church, who are these saints? They're gone. How can he make war with the saints that are not here? So if they're not here, who's he making war with? That's just one thing that makes it very hard to defend mid-trib rapture. So, notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that we, we read there, it said the last trump. Well, they're trying to put these two trumps together, the two trumpets. But remember, the feast of trumpets has many trumpets that sound. And remember this, this 1 Corinthians was written long before the book of Revelation ever came. And when Paul was saying the last trumpet, he's talking about the last trumpet of the feast of trumpets. And when the last trumpet is sounded, that's when the dead in Christ are going to rise. Also, it's good to understand that one trumpet was a trumpet of victory over death. And the other trumpet was a sound of judgment upon the people uh, that were the enemies of God. And then the last trumpet, meaning 
that the devil himself would be defeated and overcome by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So when you put those two together, you find out they cannot be possibly the same trumpet that's being sounded. But many have confused that. They put them together, making them think that they're the same trumpet, but it's not. So as far as mid-trib goes, once again, I believe that it just falls short. Now we here believe in pre-trib. That means before the last seven years, which is the wrath of God poured out upon an unbelieving world, the judgment of God coming upon the earth, we believe that we're out of here. Amen? Because we're washed in the blood of the Lamb, and we're ready to go. We're living ready, and we're going to leave. So, there are many different particular uh, verses, but look at Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. First and foremost... This is John caught up on the Isle of Patmos and he has this revelation given to him by Jesus Christ himself. In the first three ver uh, chapters of the book of Revelation, we see him first of all seeing Jesus and then Jesus tells him to write to the seven churches uh, on the Isle of Patmos there. He's writing the seven churches of Asia Minor. And as he writes through all these churches and these churches, it's almost like a circle. You could say if you had a, a postal service and you're going from church to church to church and church beginning here and going all the way through. Every one of these churches received letters uh, written to them specifically by, by Paul from Jesus who penned all the letters to them. Okay. Chapter 4 verse 1, after all these statements are made to the churches... After this I looked and behold a door was opened in heaven and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me which said come up hither and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. So in the book of Revelation chapter 3 and verse 22 is the last time you hear any mention of the church. Chapter 4 verse 1 the church is then raptured out of here and gone to heaven. The unfolding from that to chapter 19 of the book of Revelation, the church is never once ever mentioned again at all until the end of the book. So we see during that particular period of time that we call tribulation period, the church is not mentioned at all. Could it be that the church is in heaven and we're not here on this earth and that's why it's not mentioned? Could it be that the wrath of God that's reserved for his enemies and we're not his enemies? Anybody here an enemy of God? Absolutely not. So we believe that that's one indication that the church is no longer here on the earth but the church has moved to heaven and we're in heaven and certain things will take place on the other side in glory but we'll get to those in just a moment then look at second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3 and here we have let no man deceive you by any means except that day shall not come except there be a falling away and that man the sin of of sin be revealed the son of perdition now notice the expression falling away to give us a better understanding of that I have written out in your notes there, Kenneth Wiest, who was a Bible scholar who was very much used in writing even the New American Standard translation of the Bible, uh, very scholarly. This is his interpretation of that verse. Do not begin to allow anyone to lead you astray in any way, because that day shall not come except the aforementioned departure of the church to heaven comes first and the man of lawlessness be disclosed. So in other words, before the man of lawlessness who is the Antichrist can be disclosed, the church has got to move to heaven. Because you see, we, the church, are the restrainer. We're restraining this from happening as a result of our being here. And until we're removed, it can't happen. But once we are removed, and you can see this very clearly, once we're gone, there is nothing to restrain the forces of evil.
but the church is doing it right now. So, look in Daniel chapter 9, because we have another revelation given to us, verses 24 through 27. And here we have Daniel's prophecy of the 70 weeks. But we're going to look at this, we're going to read it first through, and then we're going to take verse by verse and show you some things. 70 weeks are determined upon the church. You awake? Thy people and upon thy holy city. Who's thy people? The Jews. What's the holy city? Jerusalem. So 70 weeks are determined upon whom? The Jews and Jerusalem. And notice the six things. Number one, to finish the transgression. Number two, to make an end of sins. Number three, to make reconciliation for iniquity. Number four, to bring everlasting righteousness. And number five, to seal up the vision and prophecy. And number six, to anoint the most holy. And all this has to do with the Jews and Jerusalem. So keep that in mind. Verse 25, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem and to build Jerusalem under the Messiah, the prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off or crucified, but not for himself, and the people of the prince shall, that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate even until the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. I know when you read that, you just go, really, what's that all about? But we're going to try to make it simple and break it down. Seventy weeks, first of all, are determined upon the Jews and Jerusalem. It has nothing to do with the church whatsoever. So as far as the church is concerned, it doesn't pertain to us. The 70 weeks, if you study it out, are 70 weeks of years. So in totality, it's talking about 490 years. 70 weeks, 70 times 7, or 490 years are determined upon the Jewish people and also the city of Jerusalem. So 70 weeks are determined. Now, verse 25, look at verse 25, tells us, this is divided up into different sections, you could say, or divisions. Know ye therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore to re to, and to build Jerusalem and unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks, and the street shall be built again in the wall, etc. Notice the 62 and 7. So 7 and 62 make how much? I'm going to quiz you at the end. <laughs> 7. And 62 makes 69. And then the one week makes what? How many? 70. So we could divide it up into three sections. Okay. 7, 62, and 1. So what's 7 times 7? Very good. What's 62 times 7? Stop looking at your sheet. <laughs> Put your phone away. Get that calculator. <laughs> 434 years, right? Which make how much? 483, and one week, how many years? Seven, all together make how many? 490, right? 490 years. So from the decree to rebuild the city until the Messiah is cut off, this is what this is saying, 483 years. 
Well, if that happened in 483 years, then the last seven years should have already taken place, right? It should have. We're going to show you in Scripture that it hasn't yet. Because you see there was an insertion of the church. But look at verse uh, 26 again. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself and people. The prince shall come and destroy the city and sanctuary. We was talking about Rome in the Romans in AD 70. They came and destroyed the city and the sanctuary. And there hasn't been one ever since then for 2,000 years. So what we do know is the fact that the Messiah came and he was crucified and cut off just as the scripture says. Look at the next verse, verse 27. And he shall confirm the covenant for many for one week. And in the midst, notice the one week is the last seven year period. In the midst of the week, he shall cause a sacrifice of oblation to cease. Now he's talking about the Antichrist is going to show up. And when the Antichrist show, shows up, what's going to happen is in Israel, they're going to think this is the Messiah. They're going to think this is the man of peace. This is one that's going to bring us all together, make us a national power once again. And, and also, they're going to rebuild the temple. They're going to start having sacrifices once again in the temple. And he's going to have them all deceived for the first week of that first three and a half years of that last week or the last seven years of this prophecy. And all oh, I'm telling you, it's going to be lying signs and wonders and all that. This is going to be the best thing since sliced bread as far as they're concerned. And they're going to just be so joyful and all that. But in the middle of it, he presents himself to be God Almighty himself. And all of a sudden, it all begins to come out and unfold. In the midst of all that, he is revealed he's the Antichrist. And now havoc is going to take place upon the earth. But anyhow, just to show you that that one week, the last seven-year period, once again, deals with whom? It deals with the Jews, and it deals with the city of Jerusalem, which for 2,000 years was not even under the control of Israel because Israel wasn't even a nation. But in 1948, they became a nation again. In 1967, a six-day war was fought. And in that six-day war, all these Arab nations surrounded Israel that was much greater than they were, more powerful than they were. But in these six days, God fought for them, defended them, and they overtook the city. And we showed you last week, I mean, they overtook uh, the enemy. And we showed you that last week, since God's the one that birthed Israel, that Israel came into being because of God through Abraham, did he not make a nation out, out of him? He sure did. But it tells us, as we saw last week, that Israel cannot possibly be destroyed. It cannot. It will not. It is an impossibility, which should make us think what? Why are they trying? Why are they even trying? God Almighty said there's no possible way. He said it would have to be like this. The sun would have to stop shining. The laws of nature would have to be dismissed and removed before Israel would ever stop becoming a nation or wiped off the planet. So even though they're trying to do this, it's never going to happen. But what has happened in between that is the church age has come into being. Now, most scholars believe that right now we are living in between the 69th and 70th week of this prophecy that God gave to Daniel. So we could say it this way, the 69th week ended God dealing with the Jewish nation and the Jewish people. We've been living in Gentile time from that time to the time we're living in right now. This is called the church age that we're living in right now. And what God is doing with the Gentile is making or provoking Israel to jealousy. And as a result, many Jews are becoming, becoming Messianic Jews are coming into the family of God. All because of the testimony of Gentiles. So they're becoming jealous over what God is doing with the Gentile people. 
And we see many people that are coming in. But look, before we get to that, look at the purpose of the rapture of the tribulation. See, it's the rapture that removes the restrainer that exposes the Antichrist. And then the church is being removed from the wrath of God. And this last week of this prophecy, you'll see here in Jeremiah, look at Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 7. The tribulation period is for the purpose of saving the Israeli people, the Jews. It's very clearly stated here. How awful that day will be. No other will be like it. It'll be a time of trouble for whom? For Jacob. Who's Jacob? Israel. But he will be saved out of it. You realize how hard it is to really reach an Orthodox Jew right now with the message of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ? We're told by Paul in the book of Romans that they are enemies of the gospel. I'm not making it up. You can see for yourself in scripture. We may show you some of this, but they're enemies of the gospel. You talk, you talk about <clears throat> thoroughly mixed and well set. <clears throat> Our heads are all like cement. So don't look at it like as it's not me as well. <clears throat> Our heads are thoroughly mixed and well set if we don't have God to get our heads straightened out. Right? So it's up to us to start studying the word of God to find out what it says so that we can get our thinking straightened out correctly. But when it comes to the Jewish nation, there's a veil over their eyes and they can't see clearly what's going on. They don't even want to look at a New Testament or anything like that because they're enemies of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They don't believe their Messiah has come. They don't believe that he was the Messiah. And they don't believe anybody who could be accursed on a tree could possibly be their Messiah or represent their nation. And so once again, as far as they are concerned, Jesus is nothing to them. But I guarantee you, during the seven-year tribulation period, something's going to happen, and it will unfold. Notice that Jeremiah said that this is for the salvation of the Jews. This is what it's going to take for the Jewish people to have their eyes open to once again, for, to really finally see that Jesus truly was and is the Messiah who shed his blood upon Calvary's cross for their redemption as well as the whole world. And we'll get to that in a moment. But notice this here, the mystery of the church age. Look at me in Ephesians chapter 3. We stopped the Jewish time clock after Daniel's 69th week. We started the clock on Gentile time at that point. The resurrection of Jesus when the church came into being. And we've been in Gentile time for 2,000 years or what is called the church age or the last days. Let's read it. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of grace, the grace of God, which is given me to you word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the what? If it's a mystery, then it was something that was not known. Correct? It was a mystery, as I wrote a four in few words. Whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. This was a mystery. They didn't understand it. No one knew it. It was never disclosed. Which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed unto us his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effectual working of his power unto me who am less than least of all the saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. 
to the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. So you see, no one knew because it was never even prophesied other than in Daniel when he talks about these 70 weeks determined upon the people. And so it should have happened that after Jesus was crucified, seven years were passed, that prophecy should have been fulfilled. But what they did not know from that time was there, there was going to be a church age. And for 2,000 years, we now have the gospel being preached to the Gentiles and the Gentiles are becoming the children of the Most High God by being washed in the blood of the Lamb. And any Jewish person that also believes the gospel that Jesus is the Messiah raised from the dead, they become a part of the church as well. So the church right now is comprised of both born-again Jews and Gentiles who have made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of their lives. And we've been living in that dispensation, the church age, for 2,000 years. So this 2,000 year period is about to come to an end. And if you recall, yes, last week we talked about the 1,000 years is as a day, and a day is as a 1,000 years. And if you put that together in the days of a week, seven days, you've got 7,000 years, God dealing with mankind. And we had from Adam to Abraham was 2,000 years. Abraham to Jesus was 2,000 years. Jesus to now, 2,000 years. What's left? 1,000 years the 1,000 year millennial reign of Jesus Christ upon the earth is about to come. Praise God. If you look at it that way in those terms, one day a 1,000 years, a 1,000 years is a day. Well, the time has come that we're wrapping up things for the Gentile age. Look in the book of Romans chapter 11 and see what it says. I want you to understand this mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud about yourself. Some of the people of Israel have not, have hard hearts was being kind but this will last only until the full number of Gentiles come to Christ and so all Israel will be saved and the script as the scriptures say the one who rescues will come from Jerusalem and he will turn Israel away from ungodliness and this is my covenant with them that I will take away their sins many of the people of Israel are now enemies of the good news which is the gospel and this benefits you Gentiles, yet they are still the people he loves because he chose their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Once the covenant was made with Abraham and then came along Isaac and Jacob, there is no way he could allow his people to ever be destroyed or wiped off the planet, which is why they will never, ever be overcome. But because they're in a state of rebellion, they're right now in a, in a state of upheaval, why? Because they rejected their Messiah. And God's not taking that lightly. And so he moved from the Jews to the Gentiles. If you recall, Jesus said, I came to my own, but they received me not. He had to move to the Gentiles. And because of their rejection of Christ, you and I have come into the family of God. Aren't you glad that you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb and you're a child of God right now? So for 2,000 years, we've been proclaiming Jesus as Lord of all. And, but once again, Orthodox Judaism, they do not believe that in Jesus. They don't believe in the gospel. They don't believe in the New Testament. But praise God, there are many that are out there that have accepted Christ and they're Messianic Jews. And we thank God for them. But we're talking about God's dealing with the Jewish people and the nation of Israel and the city of Jerusalem. And that's going to happen. It's going to unfold. But look at these three things here. The church during the tribulation period, three things happens. One thing, something happens on earth, 
but something happens in heaven. And here's another reason why we believe in the pre-trib rapture of the church. We're out of here and there's certain things that we're going to have to go through up there in heaven before we come back with him and fight the battle of Armageddon. But notice, first of all, number one, the judgment seat of Christ. How important is it for us to know that one day we're all going to stand before the Bema judgment seat of Christ? See, once again, we're in the 69th week. This last period of time, 2,000 years, the 70th week is going to come. It's going to be one week, it's going to be a seven-year period. But during that time, when you and I are raptured out of here and we're in heaven, number one, the judgment seat of Christ, look at 2 Corinthians and chapter 5. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body, present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the, this is called the Bema judgment seat of Christ. Well, why, Paul? That everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he had done, whether it be good or bad. That's why. And as you go to 1 Corinthians in chapter 3, we find out what this is all about. This is all about you and I being judged for our works and the motivation behind our works and anything that we have done with the right motive of heart, we're going to be rewarded for. And whatever we've done with the wrong motive of heart, we're not going to be rewarded for. Has nothing to do with your salvation. It only has to do with our rewards. But notice this. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. Which of those six do you think will burn? Gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble? Very good. You pass. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed how? by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So while tribulation is taking place on this earth in a seven-year period in Daniel's 70th week, the church is in heaven standing before the judgment seat of Christ where he is judging every man's work of what sort it is. Which is why since we all have to give an account of ourselves before the throne of God, we need to take into consideration how we live our lives here upon this earth and the motive that we use, that's behind all the activity of our lives. We're here in church because we love him. We're serving him because we love him. We give to the poor because we love humanity. And we want to help and bless humanity. Not to be seen of men like Jesus said the Jews want to be seen of men. The Pharisees want to be seen of men. And that's why they're doing this and that's why those will be burned up. But when you love someone and from your heart you're compassionate toward people and you give and you invest in their lives and help them, you're going to be rewarded for that. If you put in your money and you, you don't let anybody else see what you're doing and you're helping the widows and that sort of thing, no one sees what you're doing, you're going to be blessed for that and you're going to get a reward for that. But if the motive is wrong, then obviously we're not going to get rewarded for that. It'll just burn up. But you're going to be saved. It has nothing to do with your salvation. Only that. But now notice we have listed here for you some things. The victor's crown, 1 Corinthians. Look at this. Verse nine, or chapter um, 9 and verses 25 to 27. Here we have one. Everyone who enters an athletic contest goes into strict training. They do it to win a temporary crown. Crown is your reward. What is this crown? But we do it to win one that will be permanent. And here's a revelation of it. So I run, but not without a clear goal ahead of me. So I box, not as if I were sh just shadow boxing. Rather, I toughen my body with punches and make it my slave so that I will not be disqualified after I have spread the good news to others. 
This is the crown that a person receives for keeping his body in check and not serving his flesh, but serving the living God. And Paul said, for me to achieve this goal, this crown, to cross that line, I got to toughen up my body. I got to put my body in its place. I got to do what an athlete does. Now, I don't know about you, but I've seen these boxers before and after they prepare for a prize fight. After they have prepared their lean, mean machines, right before that prize fight, because they've been in training for about three months or four months or who knows how long. And you can see every muscle in their body, they're just ripped. I went to see this one bodybuilder one time and they just, this was at the Southern Park Mall up in Boardman. And they I mean, they had this thing on posters everywhere. It wanted a radio announcer. Come see Mr. Universe, Mr. whatever he was. I don't know the title, Mr. World. And I'm thinking back then I was really involved in, you know, weightlifting and all that. And I thought, oh, whoa, I can't wait to see this guy. His muscles probably have muscles. And I stood there and I'm looking and I'm looking I'm looking, and when he starts talking, whoa, I couldn't find a muscle. I found a lot of fat. The man was huge, overweight. You couldn't see a muscle on his body. Why not? He stopped training, right? You see, if we don't keep this flesh under it will control us. There'll be a crown for those that say no to their flesh and they say yes to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That put the flesh under and say, I'm not going down that path. I'm not going down that path. I'm not going down that path. I am walking with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And the flesh will retaliate and the flesh will say, but I want to do this and I want to do that. Keep that flesh under. Like Paul said, if you've got to beat it up every single day, black and blue, do it so that you can win what? The crown that he has for you of overcoming. Look at the next one, the soul winning crown. First Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 19, New Living Translation. After all, what gives us hope and joy and what will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before our Lord Jesus when he returns, what is it? It is you. In other words, the ones that he led to Jesus, the soul winner's crown he's talking about right here. He that winneth souls is wise because you see you're going to get a crown and Daniel talks about that if you win many to the Lord you're going to shine as the stars of heaven can you say amen? amen now remember while we're getting these rewards what's happening on planet earth tribulation like the world's never seen before take your pick would you rather be there or would you rather be here I'd rather be here and not there not here Whoops. <laughs> Wouldn't you rather be there than be here? Absolutely. Getting a crown. Look at the next one. This was the soul winner's crown. Look at the crown of glory. First Peter chapter 5, beginning of verse 2. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. Not for what you will get out of it, but because you are, an eager, you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears... You will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. You know, you talk about crowns people receive here. I'll tell you what. I don't know about you. I'm going to mess with you a little bit. When's the last time the Browns won a crown? 
1964. And they played the Baltimore Colts, lost. They won 27 nothing. Jim Brown played in that game. When's the last time the Steelers won a Super Bowl? Hmm? Anyone? 2000 what? Are we sure? Certain? Is that true? 2008? 2008? You kind of forget. You kind of forget, don't you? That's 10 years ago. But guess what? He said, it's a never-ending crown of glory. It's the sad part about it. Once you win it, next year it's gone. Someone else gets it. Then someone else gets it. Someone else gets it. So for 10 years, they haven't won one, right? But when you get your crown of never-ending glory, it is never-ending ending hallelujah it is yours forever and ever and ever shining like the stars of heaven we've got a whole lot more to exercise over and get ourselves in good spiritual shape over can you say amen to that praise God look at the next one the crown of righteousness second Timothy chapter 4 verse 8 we use this all the time now the prize awaits me what is it, Paul? The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Are you looking forward to his appearing? You know, if we are looking to his appearing, which is the blessed hope, the Bible says you purify yourself even as he is pure. So they go hand in hand, as you can see. We're waiting for him to come. We know we're going to get raptured out of here. There's not going to be any time because it's coming in an atomic moment. You saw in that video there and just like that it's boom it's all over and we're gone and we're going to be ushered into heaven and praise God we're going to meet him in the sky in the air we're going to go to heaven and this is going to happen the Bama seat of Christ and we're going to get our rewards and here's a crowd of righteousness for anyone who's looking for this to happen and they're living their life as they should look at the next one we have here crown of life James chapter 1 verse 12 this is the crown of life God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those that love him. So our love for him is shown or displayed how as we stand against and overcome temptation. So obviously in this world we have tribulation and that's tribulation is talking about overcoming circumstances, adversities, challenges, storms, temptations, testings and trials that we all face in this life. But that is not the tribulation. The tribulation is seven years of the wrath of God poured out upon this earth and you and I have no appointment for that praise God number two the next thing marriage supper of the lamb revelation 19 7 through 9 the marriage supper of the lamb this is taking place in heaven while tribulation is taking place on earth let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen clean and white for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, right, blessed are they which are called into the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. Now, in Jewish customs, there were three things with regard to weddings that took place. There was the betrothal period. And then after the betrothal period, which took about one year, one year later, 
he would take his bride, he would go get his bride at some time that was unknown to her, and he would just kind of whisk her out of her father's house and take her to his father's house where they had a place prepared for the bride where they would go and they would finalize or consummate the marital relationship. That was second. That was basically the wedding ceremony. They would, they would consummate the relationship of marriage. And then the next thing would be they would have the celebration. They'd have the feast, like the wedding reception. Those are the three things. Well, think about those three things in the sequence. The Bible says that you and I are married to Christ right now. Espoused to him, just like in back those days when Joseph and Mary, they were espoused. They were considered married, but they weren't really married. But they were considered married because they, he had proposed to her and they were considered married. They had actually a covenant of marriage, but it wasn't consummated yet. And that's why he wanted to put her away at first because she was pregnant. But the, once again, the uh, tradition is this. You're a spouse to a wife after a period of time of courtship. Then you went to father's house where they would even possibly add a room onto the house. And you would be in that house. You would consummate the marital relationship. And then there would be this fest activities that would take place and last for one week. So let's look at this from our perspective. We're espoused to Christ right now. We're married to another, we're told in scripture. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Put in this context now. It was the, it was the duty of the husband who proposed to go to father's house and prepare a place for his bride. I go to prepare a place for you so that I'm going to come again and receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. So we see we're a spouse to Christ right now, but we're not with him. But he's going to come and get us at a time that we're unaware. We don't know the rapture of the church. He's going to take us word to father's house at father's house. Praise God. We're going to consummate the relationship. And then there's going to be for one week celebration. One week is Daniel seven years on the earth. We're celebrating and they are not. They were invited, but they said no. They had a regret. See, they sent their regret in. No, we don't believe in Jesus. We don't believe in the Messiah. We don't believe that he came yet. We don't believe that he shed his blood. Okay, you're not, you don't have to come to the wedding reception if you don't want to. You don't have to get married if you don't want to. You can stay there and do what? But I'm telling you, because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's going to shake them in those last seven years like they've never been shaken before. And when the time comes that it seems like as though they're going to be wiped off the planet because everybody's going to be around them to destroy Israel from the earth, they're going to see him come in the sky for his second coming. And all when he comes in his second coming, he's going to hit the Mount of Olives. He's going to split in two. Set up his kingdom here upon this earth. Millennial reign that will take place. Oh, there's so much about that. But anyhow, before we get there. Number three, we'll conclude right here. Preparation for Armageddon. Oh, you talk about getting ready. So number one, we get our rewards. Number two, we have the marriage supper of the Lamb. The festivities. And then before the second coming. You see the rapture is not the second coming. If you wanted to be lenient and just say you divide it into two groups. You can say second coming could be divided into part A and part B. But really one's the rapture and one's the second coming. Okay. Preparation for Armageddon. Look in the book of Revelation chapter 19. I saw heaven open. And behold a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he does judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no man knew. But he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture. Dipped in blood. His name is called the word of God. 
And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses. Do you know how to ride a horse? You will learn. Anybody here afraid of how massive they are? You won't be. Clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Notice this. Look in the book of uh, Zechariah. Just to show you. Confirmation. Chapter 14, verse 5. You shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azel. Yea, ye shall flee like as ye fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come and all the saints with thee. He's coming with the saints. In the rapture, he's coming for the saints. In the second coming, he's coming with the saints. But you see, we're being prepared for battle. You see, how do we know we're going to prepare for battle? Before I say that, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and then we'll say it. How do I know we're going to be prepared for battle? To the end that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even the Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with how many of his saints? All his saints. He's coming with all his saints. Saints start from anyone that's accepted Christ during the church age, and anyone that served him before, that served uh, God before, and we're all going to come together with him. Well, let me ask you this question. On this planet, do we not prepare people for war, warfare time? Do we not send them off to boot camp and get them ready to take orders? Absolutely. Are we any more prepared than the living God? He's going to make sure that even Brother Larry can ride a horse. He's going to make sure he has one tall enough for our brother... Our brother Ben. And one small enough, a little pony for me. (laughs) Are you getting it? So, while tribulation is going on down here, fire, brimstone, all this stuff going on, bowls of judgment, trumpets of judgment taking place, and people wanting to hide, calling for the rocks to fall upon them and kill them because it's such a horrific and horrible situation. We're up there getting our rewards eating pizza, well, whatever at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and then what? Getting prepared to come back. How about this for preparation? Probably all get a set of binoculars, because we come back riding on white horses, and we do nothing but watch Jesus defeat the devil. And he spews him out of his mouth, he speaks out of his mouth, and when he speaks, He is cast and bound to a thousand years. It's called the battle of Armageddon. Praise God Almighty when he comes, look out. He's going to shake. He came as a baby the first time. He's coming as a king the second time. He's coming as Lord of Lords, Lord of all. And he will defend Israel. And when all of Israel, when all the people of all the nations around of Israel, all the Arab nations, they say, we finally got you now. Who knows? They might even have the power of the United States of America against Israel by that time. Who knows what the devil's going to concoct before that time occurs when all the nations of the world are gathered around Israel. And they say, we got you now. You'll be wiped off the planet. We're taking back Jerusalem. We're taking back the property. We're going to set up our kingdom here on this earth. All of a sudden, they look up, and here he comes riding on a white horse. Here he comes as vestures dipped in blood. Oh, all of Israel will see. Their eyes will be open, and they'll call him the Messiah, the blood who he shed for their redemption. And when he comes, all the armies of the earth will be fed to the carcasses of the fowls of the air, and he will defend Israel. And usher us into his 1,000 year millennial reign. 
Let's all stand together before the Lord. I don't know about you, but I'm excited.